About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, which means this is the end of Epiphany. Epiphany is the season when we marvel at who Jesus is. We marvel at his baptism. We marvel at his teachings. We marvel at his miracles. We marvel at Jesus because there is much to marvel at. Even more, Epiphany begins with God saying, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. It ends with, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. God speaks at the beginning. God speaks at the end. God testifies that Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is no mere teacher. Jesus is no mere example. Jesus is the Son of God. Wow! (laughs) Something to marvel about. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you get this sense of, of all these great things happening. It begins when you first there, like the birth of Jesus, but like in Luke, you get him baptized. Heavens open, God declares his love for the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. He's driven out to the wilderness, he defeats the devil in the wilderness. And then he goes into the synagogue, he teaches with authority. And then he leaves the synagogue and he goes out and he goes to Peter's uh, mother in law's house, rebukes the fever, and then she cooks that big meal. I was thinking about that big meal this morning about 4 o'clock when I had a big meal last night. A lot of egg rolls. I'm getting older. They don't sit with me as well. But a big meal. Jesus rebuked, and then Jesus kept going. He would heal. He would cast out demons. He would proclaim and teach through and through. He had wisdom. He had authority. He had power. He did miracles. All of that. And for these disciples who are young men who had been fishermen their whole life, who had seen nothing. They don't have TV. They don't get special effects. Their world was turned upside down by this Jesus. Even more in chapter 8, they're sent out with the authority of Jesus, sent out two by two, and they teach with authority, and they rebuke demons, and they heal people, and they come back going, Wow! Jesus! Your ministry is a smashing success. 
and they've experienced it, and they've tasted it, and they've loved it. But then something happens. Jesus says something that just unravels them. In chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus says these words. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Could you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking? This isn't what they were expecting from Jesus. With Jesus, it's victory. With Jesus, it's glory. With Jesus, it's strength. What are you talking about, Jesus? You're going to suffer? You're going to die? You're going to be rejected? What in the world is that? I mean, you know how young people are. Young people don't think of death. And for the disciples, I guarantee they didn't think of Jesus' death. And so at that moment, their whole world must have spun around. What in the world did Jesus mean? Well, I share this with you because this is the context. These words, the Son of Man must suffer, must be rejected, must die. Because then in our reading from the Transfiguration, it says this. About eight days after Jesus said this, what did he say? That he was going to suffer or die. And so they're in this panic. What's going on? So for eight days, what did he mean? Eight days, what's he talking about? Eight days, how can this be? Then Jesus takes three of his disciples up a mountain. Peter, James, and John. He took them up the mountain. Then as he was praying with them, they saw more glory than they could ever imagine. Because as they were praying, Jesus' face, and you've known this, anyone who's been a Christian who's, who's heard these sermons, his face was changed, it was morphed, it, was, it, it, it became different. Really, the Greek just says, it became other. <laughs> and then his clothing became dazzling white, glorious. In an instant. Now, now, what in the world's going on? Because I, what does it look like? I mean, what, I can't even imagine what happened. I mean, they're praying and suddenly they look and, and this Jesus is radiant. I mean, what did, what did he look like? I, I'm convinced he looked like what's described in the book of Revelation about Jesus when he's in his glory. At the end of the beginning of um, Revelation, it says this. John writes, And when I turned, I saw seven golden lamp stamps. And among the lampstamps someone, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Or at the very end of Revelation, when it describes Jesus, it says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. 
and its lamp is the Lamb. In other words, when Jesus transfigured, when, when he's changed, when his clothes get dazzling white, they get a, a taste, a glimmer of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. <laughs> and I, that was something else. I mean, I mean, you think about that. I mean, just crazy. Overpowering, awing. And yet, why in the world would, would Jesus do this? I mean, why give them a glimpse? I mean, he's going to die. Why, why give him this glimpse? I don't know. We can only guess. But I wonder if it's not to comfort them, to remind them that with Jesus, there's always something up his sleeves. Right? I mean, they're going to witness something Tragic. They're going to witness Jesus dying on the cross. Their Lord, their hero, their, their, their brother, the man they love, going to be killed and rejected, died, put in the tomb. I mean, that's earth-shattering. But the transfiguration can remind them, plant a little seed, that with Jesus there's always something up his sleeve. With Jesus there's always more than what you can see. There's more to the eyes with Jesus than meets, or there's more to Jesus than meets. I don't even know this. I can't even say the slogan this morning. <laughs> Too many egg rolls. <laughs> in fact, in many ways, the transfiguration is the trial run for the resurrection. And I want to draw this, 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 these similarities. What day of the week is it when Jesus goes up on the mountain? It says eight days. Yeah, well, I mean, they, probably the eighth day is Sunday, because you have that Sunday. Um, eighth day. What day was he raised? On the eighth day. Second, Jesus had two witnesses next to him on the mountain. Who were they? Moses and? Okay, you were listening. Good. In his tomb, and they were in dazzling white. In his tomb, there were two angels in dazzling white clothes. Even more, there are three disciples, three witnesses of these things, Peter, James, and John. At the tomb, there are three women who go into the tomb. Even more, when Peter, James, and John see Jesus and see this and, and see these things happen, they are afraid. When the women go into the tomb, they are afraid. Don't you see what Jesus is giving his disciples is a, a picture, a trial run of what's going to happen. He's telling them, guess what? Yes, there will be suffering, there will be rejection, but there will be resurrection. Disciples, hold on. Take this, put this inside your head, hold on to it. Because you're going to go through a bad place. I want you to hold on to it. It's beautiful. And yet, I can't help but think, isn't Jesus' resurrection but a trial run for us? What I mean by that is, I mean... Jesus resurrected from the, the grave. That's good and dandy. That's fine for Jesus. Wonderful. But isn't there more to that than just his resurrection? Isn't that really the trial for us? The trial run for us? In fact, in the reading from Peter, 2 Peter, you have Peter saying, I'm about ready to exodus. Saying, I'm about ready to depart. And he, he says, I was on that mountain. And I have a better word than that. The prophetic word. And we preach this word 
about Jesus and the resurrection. And we preach it. Why? So that the, it may dawn in your own heart, so that you might know, that you might trust, that just as Jesus was transfigured on the mountain and just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too will you. Oh, hold on to that. As Jesus was raised victorious from the grave, so too will you. As two angels were at his footsteps in the tomb, so too will there be angels with you. And as Jesus is transfigured, as he's changed, as his face is radiant, as he, has, as he dawns radiant clothes, so too will you. For you've been united to Christ. Where he goes, you go. His victory becomes your victory. Hold on to that. Life is hard. We doubt it and we see loved ones hurting. Hold on to the resurrection. Because his resurrection is proof that you too will rise <laughs> and be transfigured. Well, what did the disciples, how did they react to these words? How did they react to this, all this glory? Well, they react in two ways. <laughs> First thing they do is they fall asleep. I mean, do you understand this? They are seeing Christ transfigured. His face is shining. He has dazzling white clothes. Moses and Elijah are there. They've learned about Moses and Elijah. They're on this holy mountain. And what do they do? These are the disciples. These are the ones who become the apostles. These are the ones who write Holy Scripture. <laughs> I imagine Luke loved telling this story, too. <laughs> they fell asleep up there. Just like later in the garden, those three are with Jesus. Just stay up with me. I'm suffering. And what did these great and wonderful disciples do then? Fell asleep again. You know, we call James and John the, thun the sons of thunder. Maybe it wasn't for their personality, but maybe it's because of their snoring. <laughs> they fell asleep, those wonderful, faithful disciples. You know, I'll never feel bad if you fall asleep during the sermon. <laughs> I mean, if Jesus in all his glory and his disciples fall asleep, there's nothing I can say that might keep you awake. In fact, maybe if I'm preaching really well and really hot and really like going and then you fall asleep, I could take comfort because maybe I'm closer to my Lord at that moment. <laughs> they fell asleep. But when they did wake up, and I don't know if Moses had to prod him, you know, guys, get up, get up. When they did wake up, Peter says something. You know, he says, Master, it is good for us to be here. And I like those words. I think, I think Peter sort of gets it. 
They're up in this mountain. They're in this holy moment. It's good to be here. It's a mountaintop experience. This is the first mountaintop experience. Well, not the first. Probably Moses way back then. But it's good to be here, Lord. And why not? Right? I mean, I mean, they're up on the hill. They're away from his words about suffering. They're up there in the hill. How good, Lord, to be here. How, how good it is to be with Moses and Elijah. Let's build temple. Let's build um, booths and stay up here. I resonate with that because the top of Mount, the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration is a place of glory. It's a place of no more suffering, no more pain. Boy, if I was Peter, that's where I'd want to be. You know, up there, there's no more bills. Up there, there's, there's no illness going on. Up there, there's no bosses. Up there, there's no death. Up there, there's no conflicts with loved ones. Boy, that's where I'd want to be. How good, Lord, to be up there. Away from all that stuff down below. And I know I'm not the only one. I, I know that all of us so desire to, to leave the struggles of this world behind. I mean, I'm the pastor of the church, and boy, there are some days when I go, publishing Clearinghouse, select me. Because <laughs> then those struggles will go away. But they won't, right? They won't. They know that. But we think that. Lord, let me get on that mountain. Let me get with you so that everything will be nice and everything will be easy. Let it, how good, Lord, to be up there with you. I understand that. In fact, Christian bookstores understand that too. I mean, the most popular books that are being sold, let me read to you just a few of the titles. Your Life Without Fear. Or Love Languages, How to Experience Heartfelt Commitment to Your Spouse. Purpose Driven Life. Another book's entitled So Long Insecurity. Your Best Life Now. Or I Can Do This Diet. <laughs> These are books that are big sellers. But what are they? What are they promising? They're promising the end of struggle. We all want it. It's not a bad thing to buy the, those books. You might not want to worship them. You might not want to seek them to end your struggles. But you know, waistline gets tight. Eat too many egg rolls. That I can do this diet. Is it probably a good book to read? I might need to read it. I mean, this alb's getting tight and it's an alb. Forget about clerical, I can't even button it. <laughs> we, all of us would like to be up on the mountain, away from the struggle. A good Lord to be here. But up in the mountain doesn't mean that it's the end of the struggle. Because we know what's happening in this passage. While Jesus is up in the mountain, we know that his other disciples are down below. And there's a father going and bringing his son <laughs> to those disciples and saying, my son is demon-possessed. Heal him. And had Jesus stayed on the mountain with Peter, James and John, it would have been probably the end of their suffering. But it wouldn't be the end of the suffering of that father down below. It wouldn't be the end of our suffering. And so I resonate so much with Peter. How good, Lord, it's to be here. But Jesus can't be there. He has suffering to do. 
He has a cross to carry. He has death to defeat. He didn't come for the select few. He came for the world. To die on the cross for the world. To suffer for us. To come down that mountain. How good, Lord, to be here, yes. But Luke said it right. Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus had to suffer. Disciples don't get Jesus at all. But there is one who does. There is one who understands. Because as the disciples have failed to miss Jesus altogether, God the Father shows up. The cloud, like the Old Testament, it envelops them. Literally, it overshadows them. Think way back, Mary was overshadowed. Think back in the Old Testament, the cloud, the pillar of cloud by, by day and pillar of fire by night. The cloud overshadowed the people, overshadowed those three. And there God spoke. And he said to them, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Jesus is my son, he's saying. I have chosen him. Listen to him. Listen to him when he speaks of suffering because he's suffering for you. Listen to him when he has things to say. Listen to him as he speaks about the kingdom of God. Listen to him as he speaks about the good Samaritan and the prodigal son. Listen as he speaks to the Pharisees. Listen as he speaks to the poor and downtrodden. Listen when he speaks of his death. But also listen when he speaks of his resurrection. For Jesus is the Christ and he has the words of eternal life. Listen to him. And that's my word for you today, finally. All of us would rather be up on that mountaintop, away from struggle, but we're not. We live in this fallen world with struggle and conflict. And the only word I have to tell you is the word from God himself to you. And that is, Jesus is the Son of God. Your faith isn't in vain. You worship the right one. He's the chosen one. He's the one who's going to save you. Nothing else will. And finally, listen to him. Because he has the best words in the world for you. For those of you who are full of sin, listen as he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for those of you who struggle with your finances, listen to him. As he says, have no fear, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Or for those who are heavy burdened, listen as he says, come unto me all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or for those who are dying, listen to him when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Or for those of you who feel that you're alone and God's not with you, listen to him as he says, surely I am with you always even to the end of the age. O oh, Reformation, Jesus is the Son of God, the Chosen One. Listen to Him. He is with you. Your sins are forgiven. He goes to prepare a place for you. The resurrection of His is proof that you too will rise. Listen to Him, because He has the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.